0: Christians follow the most influential Jewish rabbi who ever lived. But what's it like to believe in Christ as a Jewish person? That's the story you'll hear on this episode of the Mission Life Podcast.
1: become a Christian and all of a sudden they talk about the veil dropping off your eyes it's really that way and uh, all of a sudden all these things that we were doing at Passover became so meaningful
0: welcome to the Mission Life podcast I'm your host Jeff Reams thank you for listening the goal of this podcast is to inspire and motivate followers of Jesus with stories of people putting their faith into action. Sometimes we feature an interview, other times a story. Today you'll hear the story of Sandy Fight. I've known Sandy for many years as she has been an active member of Dunwoody Baptist Church. Her story always fascinated me, so I'm excited to bring it to you. She grew up in Providence, Rhode Island in the 50s in a large Jewish community on the east side. The events of the previous decade, however, played a part in how her parents raised her. It was so close to
1: the end of World War II that our parents probably had a lot of fear about, um, well, they knew that there was someone out there that wanted to exterminate the Jews, and they were very afraid of assimilation, so a lot of the ways that we were brought up and separated, segregated, I think came out of that.
0: How did that demonstrate itself in your family?
1: Well, I had almost exclusively Jewish friends. I was almost never in a Gentile home until until I was out of, out of high school. And we just pretty much stayed to ourselves.
0: And you think part of that was because of what was going on in the, in the world at the time or in the, in the decade prior to that?
1: I think in a subconscious way. I think mm-hmm. there was
0: just a very protective,
1: self-protective uh, attitude, and it, it really ended up uh, instilling this us-them mentality. And we would often hear, Jesus is not for Jews. And so church was for them. We never set foot in it. Jesus was for them. We had nothing to do with him. And we all went to Hebrew school. That was two afternoons a week after school. And we went to Sunday school. But it wasn't a fun Sunday school like, like kids have in church. It was... An hour of Jewish history, an hour of uh, like culture, and and uh, we had tests and we had report cards, and we did not like going. And yes, I, I was bat mitzvah.
0: You were bat mitzvah. So okay. that it,
1: that it had some extra studying involved uh-huh. with that, and I learned the Hebrew and I chanted the Hebrew, and then uh, but. Um, I actually read from the Torah, but most, uh, most of the time the bar mitzvah is a, it's called Haftorah. It's a portion from the prophets, but I actually read from the Torah, and it was a big deal. Only girls don't get quite the, uh, the uh, lavish celebration that really? boys do. Okay. Yeah.
0: I know they can be big parties. Yes. You know, I've, heard, I've heard stories. That, do you, what passage do you remember? What passage you read from?
1: It was uh, Abraham taking Isaac but I can't still sing it.
0: Uh, I'm, I'm just impressed. I didn't do well in, in Hebrew class. I'm impressed that, uh, anybody can read it, read or recite it, you know? Can you do the ch? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I had <laughs> trouble with uh, the guttural sounds. <laughs> yeah, that,
1: that's how you tell a Jewish person from a Gentile. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh,
0: was your family Orthodox, Reformed, or?
1: A little bit of everything. My mother was brought up Orthodox, and they had the synagogue where the women were separated from the men. And then we... Uh, were uh, attending a conservative synagogue when I was young, and then my dad got a job teaching Sunday school. It was a paid position in the Jewish community, and, but that was at the Reform Synagogue, so then we ended up going there. And they, it uh, was very watered down, the, the, the teaching. It really didn't have much to do with the Bible at all. But, yes, we were yep. um, we were practicing. We were kosher. And uh, pretty observant. When I was very young, we weren't allowed to do anything on Saturday. I, I was an art major, by the way. So I just always, was always wanting to draw and cut and paste. My mother wouldn't let me do any of that on, on Saturday when I was very young. And I hated that, too.
0: Did you walk the synagogue and...
1: Well, we were a little too far. The, okay. the, first, the conservative one we went to, yes, we did walk, and that was that was a hike. But then when uh-huh. we got to the Reform Synagogue, uh, on the high holy days, people used to drive and park about oh, around the corner and then walk, so it looked like they were walking.
0: Ah. <laughs> there are three major branches of Judaism, conservative, Orthodox, and Reformed. And depending on how you grew up, the name of Jesus could be like a four-letter word in your home.
1: We were not allowed to say it. In fact, it um, It was interesting, and back in the 50s, you could say the word Christmas in public schools, and we had Christmas concerts. I was in the glee club, but I wasn't allowed to say Jesus, so I sang, Oh, Come Let Us Adore Him, Hmm, Hmm, The Lord. But uh, my parents would use the word occasionally as an expletive, so whenever we heard the name Jesus, we knew we were in trouble.
0: What were some of their objections? Why was that the case?
1: I don't think it was based on anything that they had studied or known, it was just handed down. Mm-hmm. And and also, I think coming out of that World War Two mentality, the mm-hmm. us-them thing, uh, Gentile and Christian, that was all synonymous. Mm-hmm. So it was just them against us. But it, I don't think it was based on anything more than that. And in fact, it was very confusing to me when I first discovered that Jesus was Jewish. I was like, well, what do you do with that?
0: So so there wasn't any any clear, uh, specific teaching from your parents about why they opposed Jesus, you know, that he didn't maintain the the law, he uh, no. taught people to, you know, not respect the Torah or things like no, that.
1: No, it was nothing yeah. based on any fact. I think it was really uh, an emotional or learned response, yeah. but nothing nothing more substantial in that.
0: Parents want to pass on their faith. Whether Jewish, Muslim, Hindu, or Christian, or anything really, parents generally accept the role of teaching their kids. And religion means something more than just belief. It's culture, it's tradition, it's identity. And so when a child decides to believe something else, or convert, as some say, it can feel like betrayal. But it's nearly impossible to completely protect even young children from encountering other ideas. As a little girl, Sandy kept running into situations that made her wonder who this Jesus really was for the Gentiles.
1: Well, I was pretty young. Uh, we we moved to that neighborhood when I was about four, and we had next-door neighbors who were Gentile. Mm-hmm. So every Christmas, we would go over with a fruitcake, and they would invite us in, and they would have a little present for us, which was, of course, wonderful, yeah. we loved <laughs> that. But while my mom chatted with them, I would sit on their sofa and I would see this Christmas tree, which was delightful. And then there was that little manger scene. I didn't know what it was, but it was something about a baby. That's all I knew about Christmas. And I would have some questions for my mom occasionally, like, who is, you know, what's this all about? Who is the baby? And But, you know, she would just be clear that that's not for you. But I didn't really understand what that whole thing was. But that was my first experience. Hmm. And since it was tied in with presents, I thought it was grand.
0: Did you ever hear anything in, in the synagogue about? How to relate to Gentiles, or, or why we don't believe in you know follow Jesus? Was that ever part of it, or just not? No, not, really, no. they just yeah, left that out. Just left that out. Yeah.
1: Something else that I do remember though was we lived down the street from Saint Raymond's Catholic School, and there were around Easter time there would be a poster of Jesus on the cross, and it said He died for your sin. So I want to know what that was about, but mm-hmm. we never. My, I don't think my folks really understood that either.
0: Yeah, you didn't have anybody to ask. No. Not yet. (laughs) Life has a way of getting our attention, or rather God is always trying to get our attention. He might use simple things like a nativity scene or a sign at a church to make us wonder a bit, or he might use tragedy to reveal our need for him.
1: I had a a baby that uh, my first child was born on her due date, and my second child, I went into labor three months early. Uh, we named that baby Jonathan. He lived for a month and, and then died. And I had always thought of myself as a lucky person, so this was very shaking to my paradigm. And I, so I was, I was really troubled by that. But then um, doctors and everyone warned us, you know, just take some time, don't, don't rush to have another baby. But I, I had just had this loss, and it, to me it was kind of two losses. It was Jonathan, but it was also the idea of this baby that I was going to have and stroll around with in the spring. And so spring came, and it was really empty. So I didn't listen to them. I became pregnant again. And this time, if possible, it was even worse. It was um, something known as a molar pregnancy. I don't know if you ever heard of that. It's where uh, the baby either is blighted or or just uh, dies. And then uh, the placenta can go haywire like cancer, and um, and that that is what I was dealing with. And um, so I miscarried that, but but because it was a molar pregnancy, I had to have tests every week to make sure that there were no placenta cells left. And it just didn't go away. So Mm -hmm. I ended up on chemotherapy and and they told me, don't worry, with numbers like yours, one course of chemotherapy is 100% of our patients have, have done well with that and not needed more. I was their first one to need a second course of chemotherapy. Mm-hmm. So there was this constant week after week um, just reminder that I something was going on that was bigger than me. I didn't know what it was, but I had this picture in my head of like a giant thumb holding me down. And um, in the meantime, um, I was good and depressed after the baby died, after Jonathan's death, the rabbi came and spoke to us and uh, said the things that I'm sure you say when a baby dies. But then when the second thing happened, he came back to our house, plopped in this big upholstered chair and said, I don't know what to say to you. And I thought, don't they pay you to know what to say Mm -hmm. to me? Mm -hmm. That was so baffling to me. And I I just, uh, I think it's one of the things God used to kind of twist my thinking. And that maybe something is is not what you think. And the other thing that I remember is that after Jonathan's death, um, I don't know why they told me this, but they said there will be no shiva. Shiva is the week of mourning that people come and visit you. Um, but they said they'll, he told us there will be no mourning week and there will be no announcement in the paper. And we were like mush when that happened. So we said, OK, 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 and just did whatever we were told. But that week was so excruciatingly painful. We were so lonely. And we were calling people saying, would you just come and sit with us? And, uh, and also, they said, I would not be going out to the burial. We had a little um, memorial service. But he had told me that you won't um, go out to the uh, cemetery, and you will not know where the baby is buried. And I, at the time, we said, OK, OK. And then I, when that happened and this little ceremony ended, uh, they started to take the casket out. And I started to follow. And I felt the rabbi's hand on my shoulder, like, remember, you're not going. And, and I just was so troubled by that. And they took the baby out. And then over the next couple of weeks, I found myself kind of obsessing about, where did they put my baby in the car? Was he in a trunk? I mean, it, it's mm-hmm. sort of a silly thing, but uh, that's what I needed to know. So I made an appointment to go see this rabbi. And um, he was a little daunting, but um, I just needed to have that settled. So when I went to see him, i that was the first thing I asked. And he said, well, as I recall, it was a station wagon, and the casket was in the way back, pushed against the back seat. And I immediately felt relief just to know that. So while I was there, I said, tell me, why? Why didn't we have a shiva? Why didn't we have an announcement in the paper? And he said, well, when a baby dies, according to halacha, which is rabbinic law, not biblical, but what the rabbis have decided, he said, when a baby dies at less than 30 days of age, there aren't enough memories to discuss him at at a shiva, so we don't have a shiva. And I thought, that is crazy, because the shiva is obviously for the survivors. But worse than that, he was 31 days old, and the rabbi had not even taken the time to look into that. Mm -hmm. So based on this law, I ended up being really deprived of the comfort that I I think I would have had. But I think that was something that God also used to make me think that all that I was leaning on, that there's more, that, that it wasn't all that there was. And I now look at that as a really important part of my being open to hearing something else. So now fast forward to that molar pregnancy when I was good and depressed, and Elliot, my husband, was a resident, pediatric resident at the time, and he knew I needed to talk to someone, and he knew the rabbi was not going to be the one. So uh, he said there was a social worker that people considered very wise, and he asked her to come and see me. And it turns out her wisdom was that she was a Christian. I didn't know that at the time. Mm -hmm. I just knew that she was a really good listener. Mm -hmm. I started to um, just like being around her. And so she agreed to come back the next week and the next week and then a couple of times a week. And uh, she wasn't married, so she didn't have to be home for anyone. She started to stay over with us because we lived closer to the hospital than she did. And in looking back, I realized she did not push religion at all. Uh, she followed my lead. But when you have a big loss, you tend to ask some big questions. So I would ask her things like, how can you stand to work in a unit where children die? And she would say things like, well, I have a strong faith. And I would say, well, um, what's your religion? And she said, well, it's not a religion, it's a relationship, which I didn't understand at all. I said, yeah, but are you, and the Jewish mind doesn't always make good distinctions, so I would say things like, well, yeah, are you Catholic or Gentile or Buddhist? And Mm. and she would just gradually answer what I asked, and and at one point, and I don't even know what I asked, but I do remember what she answered, uh, her answer to me, and she she later told me she had to quickly pray (laughs) before answering, but her answer was that the only way to heaven was through Jesus Christ. At this point, I was just so frustrated. I thought, you know I'm Jewish. How can you say such a thing? And I knew I was supposed to throw her out of the house. But she was the only breath of life that I had in my life that time. So I I didn't throw her out of the house. And I, I just said, well, I trust my Judaism enough that, that that's not. She said, well, do you have a Bible? And so I thought, yeah, somewhere. And I went and found this old never-opened Bible that I had gotten at my bat mitzvah. And she started taking me through my Bible, showing me the prophecies. Mm -hmm. And eventually that's what did it. We got to Isaiah 53 and I had to check the cover and make sure she hadn't changed Bibles. Because it said, it's what that poster said at St. Raymond's School. He died for your sins. I didn't know that was in my Bible. And I was also pretty amazed that she knew more about my
0: scriptures than I did. Sandy and Ellen, the social worker, continued to meet and read scripture for six months. Ellen introduced Sandy to the writings of Arnold Fruchtenbaum, a Jewish scholar and believer in Jesus as the Messiah. Together they explored the life of Christ and Sandy felt continually drawn closer to belief. Sandy eventually came to the dramatic conclusion that Jesus was indeed the Messiah and Arnold himself baptized her. A choice that would set her at odds with her family, her friends, and the community she had always known.
1: I knew it was right, but I also knew what the Jewish community thinks of baptism, and they, they kind of feel like once you do that, it's over, you're a lost cause. But um, I knew the truth at that point, so even though I knew, say I was a very obedient child and my mother was not at all happy with our decision uh, to as to become Christians, and, um, and so I don't even know if she ever knew about the baptism itself, but that would have really been hard for her. So I felt very—I um, knew it was right, but there was still this feeling of a little girl being naughty in doing something like that. But it was just right.
0: And that—that that is it. Um, people coming from other cultures, other religions—you know, religion is more than just rituals and, and holidays. I think sometimes in our tradition, we—we we talk so much about relationship that we have this view of religion as very—you know. Um, ritualistic or holidays whatever but it gets to identity too Mm -hmm. and so yeah it's very difficult because if that's part of your it's we we separate in our in the american mind religion from culture right we just don't we 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 think you can go from one to the other Mm -hmm. i remember being asked by a muslim if we would kill our kids if they became catholic because in his mind Right. That's what happened in his country if you left Islam, because it's so much a part of their identity and right. their culture. And, and Judaism, I would think, is—I is. is it, it, my, I think of my faith as a Christian parent, you know, it's part of who we are.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And to see my son or daughter reject that or go another way it would be wounding, I, I think, and difficult. Uh,
1: oh sure, I relate to it because if my kids were to do that now, I would feel the way my mom did.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So it's a it's a big decision to get baptized. We celebrate that on our side, right? Yes, yes. But do we understand mm. the difficulty and the wrestling that has to go on?
1: Yeah. In fact, when I became Christian and my folks, well, it took me two years to tell my mother. That's how how hard it was to know that I was going to disappoint her. But when she found out, they were very upset and got together with. Elliot's parents—they weren't social friends, but they got together to decide what to do about the children. Mm. And words like deprogramming—they had heard that kind of thing used, but didn't really know what it was. But they, they, and they didn't do that. But she did ask that I go and talk to the rabbi, and that was uh, just sort of an amazing experience because the rabbi was at the Reform synagogue, so he didn't really believe in the truth, truth of the Bible anyway. But he did say to me, he said, Sandy, um, I, I, the word he used was implore. I implore you not to seek truth with a capital T. That was just baffling to me. I mean, if there is a truth with a capital T, why wouldn't you want to know it? His comment was, as there are many mountains that reach towards the sky, there are many truths in the Bible. I thought, that was a strange answer, but it was all kind of nebulous, his his uh, responses. Mm. I remember asking him, well, what, hap- what do you think happens when you die? And the way he responded was, well, over the past several hundred years, the thoughts about what happens when you die have been changing. That was not very satisfying as an answer.
0: Yeah, what do you think? Yeah. Do you mind sharing about that moment when you did tell? Did you tell what was what was that like?
1: When I told my mother? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, my mother and I were very close always. So th- those two years where I was being discipled and I was learning more and I was, I was really growing in this Christianity, I was, I was sensing a big distance between me and her and she did not even know about it. But I was starting to have nightmares and I, I was realizing I needed to tell her because there was this thing between us that she didn't even know about. So finally, I just told her. And uh, and the way I presented it was, you know, just how hard life had been. I had had all these horrible things happen, but this really exciting thing has happened. And I told her about it. And initially, she kind of uh, said, "That's." She was happy for me to have found something that had pulled me out of my depression. And then the next day, it hit her what I was saying, and she and she said, "Oh, but what about?" And the way the way she processed. Uh, this disobedience was, but what about my parents and my grandparents and all the Jewish people behind us and all that they believed? What she saw me as was a traitor. And we somehow managed to keep a good relationship, but I was not allowed to talk about my Christianity. Well, you know, it's in every fiber of your being, it became a different kind of distance between us because I wasn't allowed to mention church. I wasn't allowed to mention, or I was only allowed to mention things in a certain way. She would say, uh, I'd tell her a story about a friend and she would say, well, how do you know this friend? And it's, um, well, I, I see them on Sundays. There's <laughs> mm-hmm. so it was, it was a lot of dancing around it like that.
0: Yeah, but for you, did you, did you see it as a, as a rejection of what you had been raised on, or, or was Oh, it a... not at all, not yeah. at all. I,
1: yeah. I, I I still don't know what to call myself Okay. because, <laughs> and I know there are all these, there's Jewish Christian, there's Christian Jew, there's Hebrew Christian, there's completed Jew. Completed, yeah. I think of myself as a completed Jew, but that's not a good label to use to a Jewish person because mm-hmm. they think they are that's as fine. complete as can be, yeah. and they take that as an offense. So. I, I now know that that's what it is. I mean, the, the, um, in the Bible, Moses asked at the burning bush, well, who shall I say sent me? And God says, uh, it was Exodus 3, around 14, somewhere right there, he says, tell them I am sent me. Well, that was always the strangest thing to me. Like, he says, my name is I am, what does that even mean? Grammatically, it doesn't even make sense. But then you get to the New Testament and John tells you, "I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life." All those "I am"s—it's like, oh, it completes the picture. So yes, I believed Judaism was true all along, and it is, but it's incomplete because there are all these prophecies that had to be fulfilled, and um, Jesus really is the answer.
0: I imagine you've you wanted to share that with your family or, or friends. Did you ever have those moments, and they, or was it always just kind of a that's you've, you've it was
1: ma- mostly uh I, I they saw me as a traitor, yeah, and uh yeah. they they would not listen, but that that's where the the church can be so uh they they have such a an inroad because Jewish people expect Christians to believe in Jesus, they don't expect me to, mm. and they take great offense that I do, but you have such an opportunity you it's yeah. it's the we, but it's the you yeah. um. You know, like around Jewish holidays, to be asking them questions, uh, especially around Passover, with with like I was very amazed that Ellen, the social worker, knew more about my Bible than I did. I it was that us them thing. I thought the Old Testament was the Jewish Bible and the New Testament was the Christian Bible. I had no idea that Christians read both. That will be very surprising to a lot of Jewish people. So, to ask intelligent questions like, "Oh, but in the Bible it says this, how do you how do you understand that? Or just what is your interpretation of? Um, it, it makes a Jewish person take notice. but but for me, as I said, I'm considered the traitor and and people um, just have given me a very uh, cold shoulder. and uh, and also I've heard from, oh, this was very troubling. Uh, I have Gentile friends. Who, uh, who are friends with uh, this Jewish couple that I knew in the community in Rhode Island, um, but my Gentile friends reported to me what these people had said. They told their children, uh, let me <laughs> make sure I get this right, they said, we would rather that you become murderers than do what Sandy and Elliot did.
0: I'm not even sure how to respond to that. That's just... I wasn't either, either. Yeah.
1: But, but that's how deep it goes.
0: Sometimes we Christians can forget that we worship a Jewish Messiah, and what a big deal that actually is. We hold to the teachings of a first century Jewish rabbi who not only claimed to fulfill messianic prophecies, but even went so far as to do things only God can do, like forgive sins. So we Christians actually go beyond traditional Jewish teaching on the Messiah to claim that Jesus was God in the flesh that idea is offensive to many religions, including Judaism. And anyone who claims to be Jewish and a believer in Jesus is seen as a heretic and certainly not in good standing with Judaism. Even so for Sandy, her baptism into Christ was not to her a rejection of her Judaism as so many around her said it was. Instead, Jesus actually explained a lot about Judaism and the many traditions she grew up with.
1: I remember when we were kids, we would ask questions. Like, There's this little bag that has three compartments and each one has a a cake of matzah. And we would say, why are there three matzahs? And uh, never got a good answer. We would get things like, well, it's the three branches of Judaism, uh, orthodox conservative reform. Well, why do you break one? I don't know, just eat. (laughs) You know, a lot of things like that, we would would ask questions and they just didn't know. But then you become a Christian and all of a sudden, they talk about the veil dropping off your eyes, it's really that way. And uh, all of a sudden, all these things that we were doing at Passover became so meaningful. Mm -hmm. Three, Three matzahs, you break the middle one, you wrap it in a burial cloth and hide it, and then you bring it out at the end of the meal after the kids find it, which is their favorite part, and you share it. And then Jesus saying, break, this is my body. He even said that was his body. This is Father, Son, Spirit, all together in one thing and yet separate. And it, it was just wonderful to see, oh, this really has deep meaning. And then the, the three, there are four cups of wine in the Passover Seder. And the one that Jesus said, drink, this is my blood, was the one known as the cup of redemption. Each one had a different name. All these things just made it really, really special.
0: You don't stop being Jewish,
1: no, right? no. I felt like all of a sudden my Judaism meant something. Mm-hmm. It just like oh, so that's what has been about all yeah. these years.
0: Yeah, talk to me about though your your um you're going to church. Oh, and how yeah. were you received? What was that like?
1: I was received well. Everyone okay. was. They treat you like a celebrity, like yeah. a Jewish believer. They think that's just <laughs> the most wonderful thing. But for me to set foot yeah. in a in a church, even it, I, I think it took us a couple of years until I around when I told my mom, but it was such an obstacle to step over that Mm -hmm. threshold because of that whole us-them mentality that we were brought up with. Mm -hmm. And the church that we first started going to was probably not a good fit for us. It was a a bit legalistic and even things like organ music were was foreign to us, so it wasn't something that was easy to slip into. And yeah, we we did some growing there and um, but it, but it was very—we it, it, felt like other while we were there, even though we were welcome and received. We've been to other churches since that are, are much more embracing, where we were embraceable, I guess.
0: Were there things that you missed about synagogue or you've missed about Judaism uh, in particular?
1: Um, well, there, there are some— messianic synagogues here Mm -hmm. and every now and then my husband especially would want to go and get his fix Ah. so just hearing some of the songs (laughs) and the hebrew that that kind of thing yes but um though they we have found that some of the messianic congregations can be more legalistic than we like like uh, for instance they they want to make their congregation uh, very comfortable for the inquiring Jew, so they will not say the name Jesus. They'll use this Hebrew name Yeshua, and they won't say cross. They'll say tree. So there are certain things that you're not allowed to do there. And I feel like I have been set free by Christ. He, you know, mm-hmm. he's come to set us free. So I didn't want. I, I don't really miss the the laws and the legals and the regulations. And there were some people. They're very orthodox, like at Passover, they have special matzo that has been specially blessed. And the boxes come with instructions about how many times you have to chew before swallowing. And it's like, oh my goodness, mm. no more no more laws. I have been set free.
0: Now, was Elliot a believer when you met?
1: Oh, when we met? No, we met in seventh grade. Okay. So we both grew up in the same uh, <laughs> Jewish community. Okay. And, and uh, oh, God has such a... He's so smart. God is. <laughs> because Elliot, uh, we went through high school together and uh, all school together. And um, if Elliot wasn't sitting outside the vice principal's office, you knew he was absent. He was just always in trouble <laughs> and uh, very lively and uh, rebellious. And I he got serious in college. We went to different colleges, and I didn't know that. And when we started dating, he was applying to medical schools, and I remember telling him, um, You know, it's really hard to get into medical school. I didn't realize that he had uh, buckled down since I met him. (laughs) But God, in his wisdom, had me come to Christ first. And if it had been Elliot, I would have thought, oh, great. He's just being rebellious again, and I would not have known what to do with it. Hmm. But it was me first. And Elliot was the one who brought Ellen, the social worker, to talk to me just because he knew I needed to, to speak to someone. But the way he described it, he said he was always like in the background, washing the dishes and listening. He was never washing the dishes, but he he was hearing what was going on and it made sense to him. So Hmm. uh, I came to faith first and then uh, things, it was like God had had made a lot of things uh, difficult in my life to get my attention. And then once I came, the the thing swung over to Elliot and that suddenly a lot of things were very difficult for him in terms of his uh, occupation and all this. So uh, suddenly, God had his attention and he mm-hmm. was wide open. Fortunately, it came just a few months after I did, but it would have been very hard for me to do that alone.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, he exhibited that same spirit of freedom, I know, uh, yeah. knowing him, Yeah. <laughs> full of joy, freedom, exuberance, ministry, I mean, yeah. he, he got it and ran with it. And, he uh, did. He yeah. did. Christians think of Jesus as the Messiah, the Promised One, the Redeemer. And we wonder why Jewish people don't see him as the Messiah. Are the Jewish people still waiting for the Promised One? Well, depends on who you ask.
1: I think it would be different for Orthodox. I think they okay. would have a more concrete definition that would be more similar to okay. the Christians. But I was in the Reform Synagogue by the time I was knowing words like that, mm. and they they would say, "Oh no, it's just a messianic age, a time of peace." They, they totally water it down. But people talk about Messiah, sort of, uh, "Oh, so he thinks he's the Messiah," <laughs> that kind of thing. Yeah. More as a joke, but nothing tangible, nothing concrete. It's sort of a shame.
0: So there's not the, necessarily this waiting anticipation of somebody coming. No. Yeah, I've had uh, conversations where my friends would say, "Well, you know, around the time of Jesus, there were a lot of guys claiming to be the Messiah." Mm-hmm. You know, so what's the difference here, you know? Like, well, I don't hear about those guys. Like, <laughs> <laughs> they, they came and went. Yes. This one, for some reason, had staying power. Uh, and, uh, you know, my invitation is always just, have you ever considered what he taught and what he read? Have you read it for yourself, you know? Um, and most yeah.
1: most Jewish people have not read scripture, and they, they don't, and so it's more yeah. what has been passed down. The sure. rabbis say, he's not for you, don't go there. Mm-hmm. And there are, um, there are certain passages, like I said, Haftorah, uh, the, the, there are uh, from uh, the wisdom literature and from the prophets, those are read on Saturday mornings in addition to the Torah portion. But there are certain ones that are not read in the synagogue. Mm-hmm. You know, Isaiah 53 is not read in the synagogue. There mm-hmm. are certain set passages that are allowed, but the ones that are too risky, maybe? I, I don't know what their decisions were based on, but I suspect.
0: And, and there's, there's that discipline, that structure that I've, I actually admire uh, in religion, in different faiths that want to, as they try to pass it on to their children, you know, I think sometimes we lose that in our tradition. Um, we're not always sure how to go about it. How do I pass this on? Yeah. And it's more spelled out in, in other traditions and other faiths. And so, talk to me as, as a parent, okay? You've come to Christ, your Jewish background. Um, what did you bring in? Was there anything different about being raised in a, in a, in a Jewish home? We believers in Jesus versus, you know, maybe how other people have done it. Did you bring in Jewish practices to pass on the faith, yeah, or what was it really that like?
1: That's a really good question because uh, our oldest child was uh, was just a toddler when yeah. all this was going on, and um, but but it was it was always a baffling thing to us how to incorporate the two. How should we? So we didn't we didn't want to. Take them to a Jewish synagogue for their training, training. Yeah. But there was something in Providence called Friday School, which was um, it was held at the Hillel House at Brown University, and it was just a, a thing where you could bring your kids and learn the culture, and you'd have a little bit of uh, challah, the the Jewish mm-hmm. bread, and and how uh, you know, you'd say they they wouldn't have wine, but they would have grape juice. And uh, it, was, it was just a way for, for them to be immersed a little bit in the Jewish part of things. But then that ends up uh, creating questions and some conflict because the, if, the, if the Jewish people there find out that you're going to a church, then then you become the traitor. So we did that for a little while, and, and then we would, we would have Passover most years. Um, we would have a, a regular Seder, and the kids still love that, uh, but, but it was just always confusing to us and then how to celebrate christmas that that became a topic Mm -hmm. that we just never quite figured out and still don't because it was so foreign and i remember we had a norfolk island pine little green pine tree and as a house plant and one year after at well first uh, we started celebrating by just it's a birthday party for jesus we don't get gifts he gets gifts so we would have a little birthday cake, and you might make a donation to something. But then our pastor said, you know, make Christmas something your kids will want to come home to. And Elliot, the party guy, wanted uh, was very in favor of that. I was sort of the holdout. So then we started to add more and more things. But that Norfolk Island pine, uh, our, our first year that we agreed to do something a little bit uh, Gentile <laughs> was <laughs> to hang a few ornaments on this pine tree. And I remember one time my mother came came over, and my youngest was oh, just a toddler at the time, but oh, well, maybe around four, and she said to her, Grandma, don't go in that room. You're not gonna like it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> How did Grandma respond to that?
1: Uh, by telling me her, what had happened. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, it, was there a sense in which you, you know, where, do we, where do we belong, where do we fit?
1: Very much so. And yeah. especially in December, yeah. some Jews refer, Jewish Christians refer to it as the Christian Christmas dilemma. It's like, what do we do? What don't we do? And then if we decorate and then Jewish people come over, it'll, it's just awkward.
0: Interesting. Well,
1: I, I still don't have answers for that.
0: Well, I know some of my Jewish friends like taking cruises over Christmas, you know? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> They're cheap and all the Gentiles aren't on the, on the boat, so we, you know, we get good deals over yeah. Christmas and uh, go on out and that's not true. be around it. Uh, uh yeah. yes we need to remember that as as eager as we are to see people come to Christ it's a disruptive thing yes we celebrate the joy the peace the the oh, the new life that you've got and we 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 tell great stories and we have baptisms and we celebrate and it is something obviously to celebrate but folks who come people especially who you know come from other faiths or it's a disruptive thing lose family lose friends have difficult conversations not sure where they fit didn't
1: jesus say something about turning mother against daughter and yeah it really is a divider
0: now did you find you and elliot find uh, seek out relationships with other jewish people that had come to believe in jesus Uh, how did that work i know you got into church but there probably weren't a whole lot of other
1: there weren't a lot of other in fact uh, i remember the the day I well, the way I received Christ was by saying, "Okay, okay, I can't deny this any longer." <laughs> so I sort of backed into up. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah I give exactly. Up. Oh, and wow. uh, Ellen said, uh, "I'm so happy for you. My prayer for you will be that you meet other Jewish people who believe that way." And there was someone that she actually ended up putting us in touch with. Uh, his name is Ellis Goldstein. Is with Crew. It was Campus Crusade then, and uh, and uh, I. It took me a long time to build up the courage just to call him and tell him. It was just this whole Christian thing was uh, kind of uh, disrupting, even though I knew he was Jewish. But anyway, I did call him. And when I did, the first thing he said was, oh, you're the one I've been praying for which was a wonderful thing to find out. She had asked him to be praying while I was seeking, oh, wow. And uh, so anyway, he came over and it was right after Thanksgiving, I remember. And my birthday is November twenty-six, which that year happened to be on Thanksgiving. So I had birthday cards up. And when he came in, he said, oh, who had a birthday recently? And so I told him I did. And he said, oh, because he just did too on Thanksgiving. And we found out, and God has done this a number of times to just kind of mm-hmm. connect us. Um, w- with other people, and he, his birthday was not only November twenty sixth, but we were born the same year, and wow. uh, it was just kind of a, oh, nice connection. Wow, yeah. And uh, and we were Ellen also put us in touch with mentors that became our spiritual mom and dad. Is how we think of them because they took us in and and week by week trained when we had kind of graduated from what she was able to do, and we were also very. Um, We thought, what are we doing here? We had a babysitter, and we went out to Barrington, Rhode Island, and we're about to ring the bell, and we thought, gee, we could go to a movie. What are we doing? (laughs) Well, we opened the door, and there was a big train bell in the front hall, gigantic brass thing, and Elliot loved trains, so Mm -hmm. that was the instant connection, and then we get to talk to Fred and Penny and find out that their anniversary was the same as ours.
0: I know sometimes the church can treat people come from other faiths like they are some sort of exhibit we don't mean to it's just that we're fascinated by how people come to christ but people from other backgrounds can also help us understand what that journey is like and how we can share christ with our friends of other faiths many of us have jewish friends we love and would want to have spiritual conversations with but it can be awkward we feel a gap between us sometimes I asked Sandy if she had any advice for Christians who want to talk spiritual things with their Jewish friends.
1: Holidays are a great time, Okay. There's anything that you can ask questions about, why do you do this, What? tell me about the observances, or anything that you can bring in from Scripture to ask about. But there's a book called uh, Questioning Evangelism that makes the point that questions invite someone into the conversation. I think Jewish people especially don't want to be preached at. But if you ask questions, it invites them in, and I think that would be a good thing. And then to be aware of the sensitivities, like don't tell Jewish jokes unless you're Jewish, <laughs>
0: <laughs> right? And
1: um, and I've, I've I've even heard that uh, Jewish people uh, prefer to be called Jewish people rather than Jew. Again, Jew Jewish people can use the term Jew, but if a Gentile does, it somehow sets mm. up an obstacle. So I, th- I guess just to be real sensitive and ask a lot of questions. And oh, uh, what uh, getting back to the social worker. I lost touch with her because she went onto the mission field and was out of the country for a number of years and then, I really started to hunt her down and was finally able to connect a few years ago. So we flew her down just to reconnect and to ask some questions. You know, I always assumed, wow, she got a Jewish girl and and she believes So that's a notch in her belt. Wasn't it all that way? Ellen had just gotten this job of her dreams. Uh, she had... Uh, taken time off from social work because there was so much red tape that she was feeling she was spending all her time doing paperwork and not dealing with people so she finally quit and spent two years in a factory to pay her bills and in those two years she was so bored with the work that she that's when she got serious about scripture and she uh, went through the Bible a couple of times she got involved with Arnold's camp and and studied with him and got very serious about it, which I now realize was in preparation for me. <laughs> mm-hmm. Thank you, God. And um, But she, when she did get in touch with me, she said every time before she came, she would pray just before she rang the doorbell. She did not want to. She had just gotten this job in the pediatric unit at Rhode Island Hospital and loved it. She knew Elliot and I were Jewish, and she was deathly afraid of being uh Fired for proselytizing, so she did not want to go there. And and then to hear her say that I was the one that kept bringing up the subject was amazing mm-hmm. to me. I had no recollection of that, but prayer, definitely prayer.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, just asking questions and being curious mm-hmm. and uh, and praying and um, being and sensitive. earning the right, yeah, the
1: friendship. Don't don't just uh, back up with a dump truck and and it on someone, but just. Be befriend Mm -hmm. and uh, earn the right Ellen earned the right she was a good listener and I needed a good listener
0: that'll do it for this episode of the Mission Life Podcast I hope you were encouraged by Sandy's story Notes from this episode can be found on my website, jeffreams.com. Next time, we'll feature an interview with Scott Rourke, church planter, now serving with Chattahoochee Baptist Church in Marietta, helping them to revitalize their witness in the community. We'll talk about what it takes to bring a church from nearly closing to alive and flourishing. Until then, may you continue to seek the kingdom of God and make Him known wherever you go.